Let's go verse number 1, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, and let's read it together. I think it'll just collect our minds here, kind of get us uh, back on the uh, track here. All right, uh, ready? Begin. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, kind of untypical for a preacher, he doesn't beat around the bush. He just gives the punchline first. He said, I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about, and then we're going to build on it. He said, it is your privilege to pray. If you respect God, if you respect His promises, then pray. It is your duty. It is your responsibility to pray. If you don't pray, who is going to pray? It is our work. Praying is the Christian's work. It really is what defines us. As you go through these uh, verses here, it's very clear that there's eight different um, sections. First of all, we have the exhibition, or he's going to ex- give us a storyline here. Let's go to verse 2. There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. So he talks of this fictitious city. But I think we can assume that uh, since he's speaking to a group and he wants them to connect with him, it must have been all too normal for this to happen. And that's a sad commentary to have a judge. Now, this wasn't one of those Supreme Court judges, one of those uh, judges that might have been part of the Sanhedrin or been part of a sort of the religious uh, Supreme Court of the land. No, this was a local judge who often would decide on civil matters. But he was um, just an, a man who was corrupt. Uh, he was, uh, didn't care about God, indifferent to the needs of the people. There was no way to penetrate into this man's mindset. Uh, he didn't think about anything good, didn't care about anything good. And as a result of being a judge, his bad attitude and his... Um, His bad ways just compounded because when you're in that kind of position, your decisions have a great domino effect. Notice the phrase, he feared not God. He was an atheist, at least a functioning atheist. He may have not uh, on the surface said that he was, but really, uh, he never really thought about God. In fact, not only was he an atheist, he was actually quite comfortable with it. You can skip down to verse 4. He said, in his, here he is, uh, given his soliloquy, he's kind of given out his little words in his own mind, and he said, even though I do not fear God. I mean, he made no bones about it. I don't respect people, and I definitely don't fear God. Now, in these uh, cities, in these um, towns, uh, they would go to the judge, and he would uh, adjudicate on different things. They would hope to get some kind of resolution for their issues and their matters, and uh, They would hope that the men would be fair, at least to try to help them. But it was a terrible thing when these fellows were not good guys and were swayed by public opinion or by the almighty dollar. And it's a terrible thing, especially in Israel, because of any land in the country, Israel had a judiciary that was based on Judeo-Christian principles, as we would say today, which we would simply be known as biblical principles. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse number 7, when King Jehoshaphat was uh, reviving the country after one of uh, Israel's often um, backsliding times, 
Notice what Jehoshaphat said, wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. He's talking to judges now. Take heed and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. So King Jehoshaphat sets these judges down. He looks them all in the eye. Can you imagine the president of our country looking at all the judges in the eye and saying, I'm going to tell you something. You need to act like God because you represent God. We have the oracles God. We have the Bible in our hand. And I want you to issue out biblical love and mercy and justice. Now that was quite a thing to tell them. And that's what a judge should be like. But the judges had become quite corrupt at the time of Christ. In fact, so much so that this story resonated with all the people. In fact, the Talmud, which is a written form of the oral tradition of the rabbis, the Talmud, the Talmud says that uh, during the time of Christ, judges had become so perverted, they'd become so distorted in their concept of the judiciary that they would, for one meal, they would, uh, they would, uh, they would be unjust. They would make a decision for some person, even if it was unjust. For one meal, for one pita pocket, back in the time of Christ, these guys would throw a case. And so it was a terrible thing. And so the Lord says that this was this type of man. Notice not only did he not care about God, biblical principles, he had no shame about how he treated people. It says, neither regarded man. The word there means shame. He had no shame. Now remember, the Middle Eastern culture, an awful lot like today, is an honor culture. You know, in our society, we kind of are a practical society. What works and what doesn't work. In the Middle East and in many parts of the third world especially, it's an honor culture. You don't bring shame to your family or what's thought of as shame. It may not even be biblical, but if you bring shame to the father, you bring shame to the mother, you bring shame to your community, that's just the worst thing. And that's what it's saying here. This man had no shame. I mean, uh, he didn't care who he brought shame to. And so here you have a man who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about biblical principles, has no shame. He was just a corrupt kind of a guy, and he, uh, he would throw a case for a pita pocket. That's who we're talking about. And now we're going to introduce the next character in our story, verse number three. Not only was there this corrupt judge, but there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. She was a widow. Her husband had passed away, and someone had seriously defrauded her, probably taken advantage of her, maybe even legal, but unethical, maybe even legal, but unbiblical. Not everything legal is actually biblical, but whatever the case was, it had left her destitute. And this being a patriarchy, and uh, not a biblical patriarchy, uh, you know, middle of the middle, uh, much parts of the Middle East today uh, are still a patriarchy, but it's a, it's a terrible style. It's not a biblical style. She had to have a man that would work for her. Her husband was dead, apparently didn't have a son, apparently didn't have a brother, or if she did, he wouldn't speak up for her, didn't have an uncle, didn't have a father. Whatever the case, she had no man who would speak up in this falsely um, done patriarchal community. And so uh, whoever had defrauded her knew that he could get away with it because nobody is going to listen to you. You're just a little lady. But she got motivated. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. 
Notice what verse number three says. It says, she came unto him. She came unto him. That word means to come. It's in the linear sense. She came, and she came, and she came, and then she came. She came unto him. Folks, she was relentless. That's the best word we could use for her. And notice what she says, avenge me, or take vengeance for me. She wasn't looking for something mean. She was just asking for uh, her cause to be looked at correctly, and that he, she would get uh, a resolution for her uh, situation. But being the sorry, corrupt judge that he was, unfortunately, verse number four, he would not. It didn't say he could not. didn't say he, it just said he would not. I, I'm, I'm not going to mess with this woman. But because she was relentless, she didn't have any uh, power behind her. She said, but afterward, he said within himself. So Jesus is telling this story. The people are listening to him. He said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man. Now, it's pretty sad when uh, a person acknowledges, I mean, it's one thing to be bad, it's another thing for this person to just openly say, you know what, I don't even care about God, and I don't, certainly don't care about people. Very sad. Unfortunately, uh, that kind of judiciary happens even today. I was reading some excerpts from David Barton's Wall Builders, a great uh, uh, website to remind us of our freedom and our rights. And he gave just a small list of the anti-Christian, biblically hostile type of decisions that judges and public rulers have been doing lately. Here's just, I think, five or six of them. In one case, all religious words were allowed to be censored from a student's graduation speech, but allowed any other word to be spoken, but anything religious had to be barred. They allowed classrooms to have information on Eastern Oriental and Native American religions, but not on Christianity. They permitted Jewish and Islamic holiday displays, but would not allow Christian displays. They allowed students to wear Islamic garb, but nothing that had Christian words on it. They required students to participate. These are judge, these are judicial decisions. Required students to participate in an indoctrination to Islam in which they pretend to be Muslims, pray to Allah, but those same students were prohibited from saying, under God, in the Pledge of Allegiance. They did require that if Christians do pray publicly in school, that they may not use Christian words. These are just a few of the examples of the travesty of the kind of judges and the kind of things that can happen. That's this kind of a judge. And of course, a few years ago, 46 years ago, to be uh, precise, a couple of uh, uh, wicked, evil, ungodly men and women in the Supreme Court, with no regard towards God, took innocent life, and they condemned to death, painful death. And in these almost 50 years now, 62 million babies have been murdered simply for because they are inconvenient. And so, these kind of judges back then, back now, they make a big difference in lives. What are we to do? And by the way, we should pray for this next uh, generation of judges, and we need to pray 
for our Supreme Court in these upcoming days. But look at verse 5. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Every day she's there. He walks into work in the morning. He goes to the door of the judge of the courthouse, and she is standing there waving at him. Hello, judge. Judge, remember, you must avenge me. He quickly goes inside. He looks at his docket for the day, and there she is again. He takes a break, and she's out there in the hallway. He goes to lunch, and she is out there waiting for him. She goes home. He goes home for the day, and she's out there waiting. She did this day in and day out. She probably camped by his house. She had signs. She was continually. In fact, the word continually there in the Greek language is the word for forever. She was forever by him. Now, this guy doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about people. But one thing he does care about, and that is his own creature comforts, and he is getting upset. Notice his thing that he does care about. She is going to weary me. She's going to weary me. That's the same word translated in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, where the apostle Paul said, I keep my body under subjection, or in other translations, I buffet my body. It's actually a boxing term. This word here in Luke 18 is a boxing term. She is beating me up. This woman is beating me up. I am, man, she is driving me crazy. She was painfully relentless. And I love it because the story goes that she didn't have maybe a great argument. She didn't have great power. She didn't say great words. Maybe it just simply said she had one quality. She was relentless. She was relentless. And the judge had to deal with that. That's the story. That's the exhibition, the exhibit. Now our examination, our Lord's examination. He's going to examine this and look at the details. Now, who is he speaking to? Verse number one, he spake a parable unto them. He spake a parable unto them. Well, you got to go back to chapter 17 there and we'll find who the them are. Them are his followers, his disciples. These are believers he's talking to, not that unbelievers may not be listening, but his main target audience here was people who called the name of Christ. They were followers of Christ. Now, what is chapter 17 all about? Chapter 17, really, for the most part, is about the second coming of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is coming. Now, the wacky JWs say that Jesus already came. In 1914, he came, but it was secret. Uh, but that's not what Luke chapter 17 says. Luke chapter 17, that he's going to come and every eye will see him. And when he does that, for every non-believer, it's going to be a horrific judgment day. For every believer, it's going to be the setting up of Christ's kingdom, the establishing of the rule of righteousness and the peace in the world. In chapter 17, verse 22, notice what it says, that they, go back just a few verses in chapter 17, verse 22, that they ought to pray and not lose their heart. And so here's the deal. Here's what Jesus, here's the context. Jesus said, I came to this earth 
Now, I existed before I came to earth. I have now taken on, I've manifested human form. I am with you. I am here to help you and to bless you and to teach you and to encourage you and to inspire you and to save you. That's my goal. But he said, from my first coming until my next coming, there's going to be some rough days ahead. Now, this was at the beginning of the first millennia. And so it's been 2,000 years since that time. Now, the time that Jesus was speaking about, we are living right now. And so he said, I want you to keep praying, keep praying. Now, to us, it's been 2,000 years. We look back to the first coming of Christ, the Christmas. We look back to Christmas, the first Christmas, and we say, man, 2,000 years of human history, that's a long time. But you know, the Bible says it's only two days. Psalm chapter 90 and verse 4 says, A thousand years in the sight of God are as but yesterday when it is past. Folks, do you realize that it has only been two days since Jesus came? Only two days! In our minds, it's 2,000 years, but in God's way, He said, you know, it's only two days. God is saying it's a long time. Now, the warning is this. There's going to be some persecution There's going to be some hostility. Satan is going to attack. The world is going to be after you. But the message is clear. Keep praying. Keep praying and don't lose heart. The word lose heart there is to give in. Don't give in. When sin gets bad and when evil escalates and when the world pressures you, don't give in because judgment day is coming. And when that day comes, every evil is going to be vindicated. God's people are going to rule and reign with Christ. It's going to be an amazing time. That's why Jesus, in that passage, which we call the Lord's Prayer, says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 10, when you pray, pray like this, thy kingdom come. Now, many of us will pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, or we might. Others might say, Lord, forgive us. But very few people say, Lord, thy kingdom come. Very seldom do we say, Lord, come today. Come, Jesus, come. And yet the Bible says we are to pray relentlessly for the coming of Christ. Really, this passage is about prayer, but it's more than just prayer. It's prayer for the kingdom of God to come into our lives wherever we are and that we would hold out faithful, and that we would have strength, and we would have wisdom, and we'd have a different mindset about what we're doing. Why do we evangelize? Because the Lord is coming. Why should we feel comforted? Because the Lord is coming. Why should we live a pure life? Because Jesus is coming. And so that's what he's saying here. He's saying, if you will relentlessly pray to your God, who is not an unjust judge, then you will be comforted during these seasons. So the exhibit is a story. The examination, Jesus lays out the truths. Now he's going to bring it home. Now we have our Lord's exhortation in verses 6 and 7. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? Now, folks, we're getting to the meat of the message. This is a big old ribeye right here. He's saying, now, bite into this. Chew on it for a while. He is saying, now, folks, listen to me. 
This is one of those much more comparisons. Now, in the book of Proverbs, you see a lot of much mores. Throughout the Old Testament, Paul, the apostle, is especially big on all these much mores. You see them throughout the epistles. Here, we find some much mores. Now, I'm going to give credit where credit is due here, is I'm going to give you nine much mores. But this is actually from Matthew Henry's commentary. I have uh, kind of updated it and maybe expanded it a little. But I want you to give you nine much mores about this story. And that's really what this is all about. This is the meat of the story. Number one, she was a stranger, not related to the judge, but God's people are his own elect. God knows us personally. He loves us personally. In fact, he is delighted with us. He's always concerned about our welfare. And so in this passage, this guy was a corrupt, careless, atheistic judge who could care nothing about God or mercy or people. That's not our God. Number two, she was but one, but the people of God are many. In this story, she was just one little lady. But in our, with God, it's not just one little person with a request. We all come to God with the same mission. Oh, God, come quickly. And thank God, as we all come and besiege the throne of grace, we join a great cloud of witnesses. The fact is, we are a great army of prayer warriors. Number three, she came to a judge that told her to keep her distance. We come to a father that asks us to come boldly. Not only asks us to come boldly, but even tells us what we can pray. He said, when you pray, pray this way. Say, Abba, which is just a Hebrew way of saying, Daddy. Get familiar with your God. Just say, God, Daddy, Dad, I need you to work in this matter. This was not some, uh, some careless judge who didn't care about No, our God, even though he's a judge, he is our daddy. Verse number four, she came to a corrupt judge, but we come to a righteous man, but not just any righteous man, a righteous father. In fact, not just any father, our father. Some other child might come to me and ask me for something, I might do it or might not. But when my own child asks for something, I'm going to really try to do it if I can. Number five, she came to the judge on her own account. But God is himself engaged in the cause which we care about. Sometimes we have the idea that prayer is trying to persuade God. Prayer is trying to overcome God's reluctance. Prayer is none of that. Prayer is just finding God's will, agreeing with it, and then accepting it. It is just saying, God, I know this is what you want. So therefore, I ask this in your name. That's what asking in the name of Jesus is. It's not just putting a little epitaph on the end of our little prayer time, you know, in Jesus' name. It's just, it is simply saying, I care about what you care about. You care about souls. You care about righteousness. And so, God, I come on behalf of that. Number six, she had no friend to speak for her. But we have an advocate with the Father. She had nobody to speak for her. She was a widow and In that society, nobody stood up for her, but she said, well, I'm not going to let that stop me. But thank God we have an advocate with the Father. And this advocate, this lawyer, is not just any advocate. He is the Father's own son who is making intercession for us. Amazing. Number seven, she had no encouragement given to her to ask. 
But we have many promises held out to us. This is a door that we've been given all kinds of keys. Just in case one key doesn't work, try another key. But any key will open up that door. And it'll be so full of blessings. Verse number, or the eighth item. She could only have access to the judge at certain times. But we're encouraged to cry out to God day and night. Now, the only time she could find the judge is when she might catch him coming in, catch him going out of the courthouse. She might catch him on the street somewhere, but very limited access. We have unlimited access to God at any time, day or night, 24 7, 365 days a year. We can cry out to God. When we go to God, our, uh, our words don't go to voicemail, we don't get stuck in some voice phone tree. Press 1 for English. Press 2 if you want to speak to an operator. Press press 3 if you're really mad by now. And uh, none of that with God. I mean, we can go directly to God. It's like being able to call the... uh, You have a problem with your iPhone? It's like being able to call up the CEO of Apple and go get a direct line. God said, just come to me directly. Number 9, her determined attitude was provoking to the judge. I mean, it just irritated the fire out of him. But our determination is pleasing to God. God loves it. He loves determination. Oh, I just don't want to bug God with my problems. Folks, are we kidding? God loves relentless praying. He loves it. In fact, it says in verse 7, shall not God avenge his own elect? You'd say, well, who are the elect of God? The elect of God are those who say yes to God. Um, I like what the old country preacher said. He said, the devil cast one vote against me, and God cast one vote for me, but I cast the deciding vote. I said yes to Jesus. (laughs) That's the elect. We cast the deciding vote. I accept Jesus. When you accept Jesus, you're one of the elect. That that, uh, bears it up right there. It says... God avenges. He speaks to a just cause. If someone has wronged us, God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You don't take it into your hands. Let me take up for you. We're like that widow. Go to God and say, God, that person did that. At work, this person or this person or this person just not that we ask for anything bad for anybody. It's just that we speak to God. God, speak to this issue. You are a righteous, loving judge who is my Father. But then I want you to notice what it says. Though He bear long with them. So Jesus said, now look, folks, I want you to pray. These are praying times because it's going to be a long time. How long is it going to be? Jesus didn't know exactly. We're even told in Scripture that even the Son of Man doesn't know the time of His returning. Now, He does as God, but as the Son of Man, He doesn't know. His humanness, He doesn't know. And so in His humanness, He doesn't know the exact day and the exact hour that He's going to come again. To us, it's an eternity. To God, it's but two days. I remember one of our beloved saints of God in our church, uh, he uh, was very sick. He was a deacon in our church, and he uh, was so sick. And I remember him uh, telling me, he said, you know, I told my wife, I'll see you in a couple of seconds. He passed away. And before he passed away, he said, honey, I'll see you in just a couple of seconds. 
To him, he knew that it would be maybe a year or two years or 10. As it turned out, it was just a short amount of time, strangely enough. But you know what? Whether it had been 50 more years, really it's only a few seconds, and that's what God says. He said a day, a thousand years with the Lord is just like one day. It's, I mean, it's so simple. And Jesus said it's going to seem like forever. But in the meantime, what do you do? You pray. And what does praying do? He gives you a heart of evangelism. What does praying do? He gives you a heart of purity. What does praying do? It gives you a heart of comfort. Be relentless with your God because God is bearing long. Well, why don't you just come, Lord? Why do look at the history of the Christian church? I mean, 50 million Christians like you and my, me. 50 million Christians during the Dark Ages were killed, mostly, and I'm not trying to be mean here, but mostly by the Roman Catholic Church. Killed millions of Baptists, millions of God-fearing, Bible-believing people, millions of them. Millions today have been murdered over the last several, last hundred years by Muslim extremists. And even today, the more are being killed by, in these, the name of war. I mean, it's terrible. Christians are, there's an anti-Christian movement, an anti-biblical movement across the world as never before. We see it portrayed and played out for us in the media often. But the fact is, friend, God is bearing long. You say, why does He wait so long? Because God is waiting for every last soul to have a chance. Every last soul to have a chance to come in. But when, but notice what it says, but it said here in verse number seven, but at that time, when it happens, look at verse 8. I tell you, however, that He will avenge them, and He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth. He will avenge them speedily. What is the word speedily? It is the, actually the Greek word takos, takos. It is the word we get takonomer. Uh, 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 Anyway, you know that thing, kind of like a speedometer? Am I not saying it right? But anyway, it's the same word, T-A-C-H. And uh, it means that you're going to find out the RPMs of that engine. What it says is, is that when God comes, when Jesus comes, He's going to peg that tachometer all the way to the edge. He's going he's to make that thing speedily. He's going to come with power, with speed. Now, here's the point. When He comes, He's going to come. It may seem long, but when he comes, it's going to come quickly. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. In the meantime, pray. Because God is wanting to save every last soul. Thy kingdom come. We were uh, traveling in uh, overseas, I believe it was the Philippines. And over there, the banking system was a really interesting. <laughs> Their banks are more like big armored vaults, and it's strange. They have guys with big old machine guns outside, and it's a really unique place to go to bank. But we were there, and this particular bank had, um, had a time-controlled locking mechanism so that if you were inside the bank, when that time hit, 5 o'clock, let's say it was, when that time hit, those doors shut. I mean, not a second before and not a second after. But when the time came, speedily, boom, lock. That was it. I mean, you could have been walking up to that door, and the minute that thing shut, you could, be, you could have had your hand on the handle, but if it locked, you weren't going in. Boom. 
That was it. And those guards would just look at you saying, you're not going in. I was thinking about that in light of what Jesus is saying here. He said, I will avenge them speedily or at, with great timing in the moment until that time. As long as it's not five o'clock, you can come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Walk up there and walk into that door and get saved and be part of the kingdom of God. But I will tell you this, when the time comes, when the moment comes, an automatic time, and it is set on God's clock, my friend, it is, it is set. It is not like it may be this time or maybe this time. There is a date set. Now, I know there are date setters who tell us when Christ is coming, but the fact is He is coming, and there is a date set. Now, we don't know it, and anybody say they know it, they don't know it. But God does, and it's, it is set. And when that time comes, it's going to be like that automatic time clock. That's it. Nobody else is getting in. That's it. You'd say, well, I'll have time. You don't have time. Hey, it's impossible because he comes with tacos. Speedily, boom, boom, it's gone. Like that. I mean, quicker than that. Well, I'll get ready, and when the time comes, I'll get saved. You won't. It won't happen that way. You'll be lost and forever in hell. All because you didn't take time at that moment you could have. And that's why Jesus is saying, pray, pray, pray relentlessly. Thy kingdom come. Pray for people to be saved and tell your loved ones and tell your children and tell everybody, pray, pray, pray. Make sure you pray. And then Jesus lowers the hammer. Look at the last part of verse 8. And if you weren't convicted, now you're going to be. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man does come, will he find faith on the earth? Will he even find one person, one believer? Jesus was looking at these people. I know you're excited now. I know you're all thrilled about the kingdom of God. You're here listening to my sermon. But he said, I wonder what's going to happen a week from now when you don't have me here. A month from now when I'm no longer with you. Or a year from now. Or ten years from now. Or a thousand years removed. Will there be anybody who is praying relentlessly? This widow didn't have great words. This widow didn't have amazing argument. She just had a cause and relentlessness. She went to the war room every morning and every lunch and every evening. Oh, thy kingdom come. She had a, she, her mind was about the coming of, of Christ. And I wonder this morning, friend, if Jesus were to return today or tonight, or this week, where would he find our minds? I don't know, but I think we get often distracted. I think we are so excited about our 401k or so excited about our vacation or so excited about this or that. We don't even care about the return of Christ. He could come at any moment. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I, am I have the love? Do I have the care for others? Am I comforted in Christ? Now, folks, it's been 2,000 years, and it seems like forever. But with God, 
A day is as a thousand, uh, one thousand years is like one day to God. It's only been two days since Jesus was here. Only two days. Now, whether he waits another day or another second, the fact is he's coming. Let him find us with faith, relentlessly praying. He's not asking for some great theologian, although there's nothing wrong with that. He's not asking for someone who's, you know, puts all, crosses all the T's and dots all the I's. Nothing wrong with that. But he's looking for those who have faith, faith in the coming Christ. And because they have faith, they live that way. I was refreshed this past week by our president who stood on July 4th and said, and I love how he quoted George Washington, saying, we are a nation under God, and we need God. Thank God for a president who said that. Amen. Unlike the last president. <laughs>